Well, God bless you guys. Welcome to Swerve Church. I'm so glad that you guys made an op- took out the opportunity to come and join us today. I'm so glad that you joined us. Boy, you couldn't have chosen a better Sunday as we celebrated these two lives made new through the act of baptism. Do you guys know what the hardest part of that was? Coming out the water. It was so nice and warm. It was like a jacuzzi. It was wonderful. I didn't want to leave. That's probably the hardest part of it. But no, seriously, man, it's a wonderful thing to be able to celebrate somebody who makes a decision to follow Jesus Christ and through the act of baptism. It's something beautiful. By the way, real quick, before I jump in, man, if you made a decision to follow Jesus, but you've never been baptized, I would love to help you take that next step. Feel free to let me know. Let Stephen know. Talk to somebody, okay? Don't leave here without talking to somebody after this service. Man, well, we're in Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be reading verses 15 through 19. We're going to be going rather quickly uh, through these verses. Definitely want to respect your time. And we have an ice cream cake that we want to cut up. And so I want you guys to enjoy that for sure. That's going to happen. In fact, Barrios, I forgot to tell you, there's an ice cream cake downstairs. And it's in the freezer. And uh, you might need to thaw it out a little bit. Otherwise, there's no knife on this side of heaven that will cut through it. Right? So, uh, yeah. Anyway, that sidebar got distracted. Right? Let's jump right in. Okay? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. Let's see if we have it there. It says this. Ephesians 1.15. By the way, in your message notes, the verses are there. You can follow along. There's a pen that came with that. Uh, you can take notes, follow along, and some fill in the blanks. Just help you stay focused on what we're talking about today. Okay? Here's what it says. Chapter 1, verse 15. This is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints... He's about to tell us what, okay? Let's just stop it right there. Ephesians 1, verse 15. This is wonderful. What really stands out to me as we read this passage is that Paul heard some great rumors, right? Have you ever had rumors told about you? Probably some not so good, right? Some bad, some good. He's heard some good rumors. He heard some good about about the believers in Ephesus. He heard a great rumor about them. He heard that these believers in Ephesus, they've been killing it in two areas, and so the two areas specifically, I, I pray and I hope that Swerve Church would be able to portray, would be able to kill it in these two areas as well. As we continue to grow and to mature and become more like Christ, I hope that we can exhibit these qualities. I don't know if you guys caught it right there. Maybe you want to uh, write it down right there in your notes. Number one, it's this. He mentioned their faith in the Lord Jesus. Their faith. If you guys can write that in in the fill in the blank, you can circle the word faith there in the verse if you like to take extra notes. The second thing he noticed, did you guys catch this? Their love for all the saints. Their love for all the saints. So two things that stuck out. Faith and what? And and love. Faith and love. Now could you guys imagine for just a moment if we would be a church that is known for our faith in Jesus and our love for one another? Can you guys imagine what it would be like? Could you imagine what kind of church we'd be like? Can you imagine the impact and the reach that we would have as a church? When I hear that they had faith in the Lord Jesus, it makes me think of one of two things, of one of two ways. Number one is this, that faith that He is my salvation, right? The faith that He is my salvation, But the other way I think about it as well is the faith that He is the salvation of others. So there's this faith in Jesus Christ that He saves me and He rescued me, right? But there's also this faith that He is the salvation of others. Question, let me ask you guys a question. Do you have that kind of faith? 
Do you have that kind of faith? Do you have faith in Jesus that believes that it's God's heart to seek and save the lost? Do you believe that? You know, our mission as a church from the very beginning has been this. It's been to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. And we certainly believe that as followers of Jesus, we're learning to be more like Jesus. We want to look more like Him more and more. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit to do good. And we're growing in our knowledge of God and His Word. But we are always going to have a bend towards reaching people far from God. That's just something that we're always going to have. It will always be deeply embedded into the DNA of Swerve Church. We're trusting God that we will see more people come to know Christ. We have faith in, in Jesus to save sinners like me, to restore broken families and homes, to heal the hurt and to heal the brokenhearted. I have faith for all those things. Again, I ask you the question, what about you? I have faith in those things. Jesus said this in the book of Luke 17, 6. He said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. If you had the faith the size of a mustard seed. Well, guys, you know what I'm praying for? I'm praying for something even greater than a tree being uprooted and thrown into the water. You guys want to know what I'm praying for? I'm praying for the, to, that we would see the hearts, hearts of stone turn into hearts of flesh. I'm praying that people lost in a world without hope and in despair, that they would find hope, they would find joy, that they would find salvation in the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I'm praying that people, yes, would even be set free from addictions, to be set free from strongholds, to be set free from generational curses. And I have faith that I'll see it. Again, I ask the question, how about you? Do you have that faith? Today, we just like we baptized two lives today who made a decision to follow Jesus and publicly declared their faith in Him, I pray that we will continue to see this over and over. Is anybody, does anybody have that faith? Is anybody with me in wanting to see more lives made new? Anybody else want to experience it more? Oh, that, we, that it would be said of us as a church, as a family of believers, as a community of Christ followers, that we had great faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But then Paul says that they were full of love for the saints. Did you guys catch that part, right? In other words, there was an incredible sense of love among the believers. Everybody could sense the love that was there. And how I pray that that would be true of us as well. That people would sense the love that is among us. That when people walk through the doors, they would sense the love. And I, if you're a first-time guest, I know many of you are, understand this, that we love you. And we want you to feel the sense of that love. Jesus said this in John 13, 35. He said, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. You had me at hello. I was like, what? what? How do I know? How do you know that I'm your disciple? He says, if you go to church every Sunday. Uh, if you memorize half the Bible. Hmm. It doesn't say that either. But it says, by this, everyone will know you are my disciples. If you what? If you love, love one. Man, that's how people are going to know. 
There's something different about you because there's a sense of love one another. Listen, unfortunately, the one thing that many churches lack is a very real sense of love for one another. And that is so unfortunate. What a shame, especially since we worship a God who demonstrated love to us in such an incredible way. The Bible says that God loved us so much that He sent His Son to take the punishment for our sins. That's an amazing love, by the way. And what a shame that we serve such an amazing God with so much love, yet we don't experience so much love. That very same love that we have been extended, we should be able to share it with others. Since we've been extended so much love, shouldn't we be able to share that love with someone else, with others as well? We should be able to share it. So can we be a church so full of love that people can actually sense the love of God by how we treat one another? It's a big goal, I know. But can we do that? Listen, if you're here today and you've been hurt by the church, okay, which I know many have. I've had so many conversations with people. Danny, you know, all right, I respect what you do in the community, blah, blah, blah. But, yo, I, I got hurt. I was at a church. I was, I was serving. Took communion. I did the whole thing. But I was, I was so hurt by the people there. And if you're here today and that's your story, I just want to say, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that that's your experience. Because we ought to be a place with sincere, with authentic and bountiful love. You ought to experience that here. But as you know, many of you, I think you guys know this, and if you don't, I'm going to drop a bomb on you. All right? The church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. Right? It's a hospital for sinners, not a museum of saints. So we don't always get it right. So I'm so sorry that that may have happened to you in some other church experience. Here at Swerve, we're really trying to practice the scripture, practice God's word, and say, man, we want to be a church that loves one another. But we don't always get it right, but neither do you, right? You never live everything that you say out 100% of the time. So church, let's aspire to love one another in such a way that it would be a divine expression of love that comes down from heaven itself. Amen? Paul goes on to say this in verse 16. I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. He hears all these great rumors about them, man, they're full of love, they're full of faith, and because of that, man, I never, I never every time I pray, every time I kneel, every time, every time I have my quiet time, I think about you guys. And Paul is playing an integral part in, in the lives of the believers in Ephesus by constantly praying for them. He's always praying for them. By the way, guys, prayer is not an afterthought, Okay? And it's not a cop-out. It's not. It's simply not. You know, here's why. If we were praying to a statue or or to a Muhammad or a Buddha, then then maybe we could say, man, you know, it's a statue. It's somebody who died and, and there's no power in that. But we're praying to an infinite and powerful being. Therefore, our prayers matter. So when I say I'm praying for you and I sincerely pray for you, it's not a cop-out. I'm praying to the God of the universe to help you in your situation, to heal you of your sicknesses. It's not a cop-out. And as we continue, we, we, we pray with, the very, with a very real conviction that God will heal those prayers. And a, and a clear indication that we love one another, you know what's a clear indication of that? If we're praying for one another. <laughs> if you tell me, hey Danny, I pray for you this week. What more communicates that you have sincere love towards me than that? I'm praying for you this week. What a clear indication that we love one another. Know that every time on the back of your cards, your connection cards, that you guys catch, it says that there's prayer, uh, prayer requests, put them down. Know that every time you write something there, we are praying. 
to those requests. I am praying for you and I'm trusting God to hear and answer those prayers. As we continue uh, reading today's verses, Paul is about to pray for the believers in Ephesus. So he says, hey, I hear these great rumors about you guys. You have faith. You have love. Every time I think about you guys, I remember you in my prayers constantly. And then he's about to pen a prayer. Okay, so he's about to show us a prayer. Let's take a look at, at these things and let's see how we could pray these things for you and for Swerve as well. Okay, let's, let's, just, let's just go right through these things. It's uh, verses 17 to 19. I pray. Okay, so He's praying. Paul's praying. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what is the wealth of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of His strength. All right, so real quick, we're going to go through these things. We're going to look at what he's praying. We want to pray these prayers, okay? Number one, if you're taking notes, he prays for a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. A spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Real quick, a lot of people tend to interpret a verse like this, that Paul is praying for the Ephesians as uh, some sort of new knowledge, some sort of new revelation, some sort of new Wisdom, And if you read this verse out of context, if you skim through it, you completely miss out. Paul is not saying, hey, I want some kind of new revelation for, for the Ephesians. I want some kind of new wisdom. I want some sort of new knowledge given to them. That's not what he's praying. Some run with a passage like this and tend to take it like God wants to reveal to them some new insight. But there's something very important that we're missing out. And it's so important for us to see this as a church. Otherwise, we may be mistaken and begin forming some new teaching. We might start forming a new doctrine because of a verse like this, taken out of context and not fully explained or understood. You see, Paul is praying to God, to the God of the Ephesians, uh, to, he's praying to God for the Ephesians to have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of who? In the knowledge of who? Look at your notes again. In the knowledge of? Him. Who, who is that? Who's Him? In the knowledge, revelation, and the knowledge of Him, that is Jesus. He's talking about Jesus. What we need is wisdom and revelation in who Jesus is. You don't need a new revelation. What we need to know has been revealed. You need to know and understand who Jesus is. He prays for spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, of Jesus. And it's so important, guys, because there's lots of people that will take a verse like this and say, look, God has revealed to me some new, let, let me explain to you this passage. Is, I'm explaining it to you in a way that's never been explained before and give you some sort of new revelation. Mess around, give you some wrong teaching, and wrong doctrine, go start a different church teaching a different gospel because they have some new revelation. There's religions in Bushwick that are founded upon some new revelation. Do you guys get this? And it's so important, we need to see Jesus revealed to us. Jesus, that's what Paul is saying. Who is Jesus? Jesus is God become flesh in order to redeem mankind from their sin and to reconcile us to himself. The Bible says that we were dead in our sin and trespasses. Listen, you're not okay. You are dead in your sin and trespasses. And we learn from the Bible that the wages of sin is death. 
In other words, the cause for our sinfulness, for my sinfulness before a holy God is death. What I deserve is death. But God in His infinite love for you and me, He made a way so that we could experience the forgiveness of sin. How did He do that? Through Jesus. He did it through Jesus. The price for our sin and death was Jesus paid the bill. He picked up the price. He lived the life that you could not live and I could not live. A perfect and sinless life. But then He died a wretched death. The death that you and I deserve to die, He died for you in your place. On the cross, God's wrath was poured out on Him. And He hung His dead. His, he hung His head and He died. But three days later, you guys know this, he rose from the grave conquering Satan's sin and death. Death could not hold him down. In his death, we experience the forgiveness of sin in his life. We experience the newness of life. Guys, and you just saw a great picture of that today. The baptism is perhaps the best picture of that. As Jesus was buried into the grave and dead, we, we baptized you into your sin and your trespasses. You were dead to your sin. But as Jesus rose from the grave, conquering Satan, sin, and death, we lift you up out of the water and you are made new in Jesus Christ. If I look at what 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? He is a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. You're a new creation for those of us that are in Christ Jesus. Now listen, for some of you here today, you need this wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus awakened to you. It's dormant. You don't know about Him. I pray that today may be the day that the knowledge of Jesus is made known to you. And that this wisdom is made known to you. This knowledge of Him is made known to you. Listen, many of you were brought up Believing that you prayed a prayer and you were okay. Many of you went to church on an Easter or on Christmas and said, I, I did my good deed of the year, right? Or you, you say, I didn't murder anybody, right? I don't lie on my taxes, I'm good. You were baptized as a baby, so I'm all right, right? No, you're not okay. You are a sinner in desperate need of a Savior. You're heading towards destruction apart from Jesus. But here's the good news that's the bad news, I know. Frowny face, right? Emoji, sad. Here's the good news. The good news that Jesus has paid the price for your sin. So you don't have to. You don't have to pay the price for your sin. Simply surrender your life to Him. And when you do, Jesus will radically change your life. He's going to change your identity. He will change your heart. You'll be made new. Paul goes on to pray this, number two in your notes, you may know, he prays, that you may know the hope of his calling. That you may know the hope of his calling. Listen, can I be blunt? But you guys, some of you are living without hope. Some of you are here today, sitting on these pews, and you're without hope. You've attempted to put your hope in many things, and each one of those things have let you down. You've attempted to put your hope in a relationship or a spouse, and they've let you down. Only to find yourself, you know, you find yourself divorced or, or arguing all the time or, or a dive down in lackluster passion, like that passion, that love isn't there the way it used to be. Some of you have put your hope in material things and you think, man, if only I could get that bigger house, if I can get that newer car, if I can get that better paying job, then I could get that brand new phone, then I would ultimately be satisfied. But listen, what happens when the house burns down? What happens when the car is stolen? What happens when you're laid off? What happens when the iPhone 37 comes out? What are you going to do? You're left empty 
and without hope. Why? Because you're seeking out foolish and vain pursuits. Some have attempted, listen to this carefully, some have attempted to put their hope in religion. You think that if you dress a certain way, if you confess your sin to a priest or a pastor, if you read your Bible every day, if you give and you go to church and if you give to a charity, then you will most certainly find hope. Absolutely not. Why? Because God's heart and desire was never that you'd become religious. Listen, God did not send Jesus so that you can be religious. That wasn't the purpose of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. His heart has always been to draw you unto Himself. And that can only happen through a relationship through Christ. Here's the third thing that He prays. That you may know the wealth of His glorious inheritance. That you may know the wealth. We spoke about this last week. So just to review, we mentioned some identity statements that we hold because we are in Christ. We are in Jesus. And one of them is that we are an heir. Not a hair, an heir. H-E-I-R. Right? To be an heir speaks directly to our kinship in relation to God. In other words, through Jesus, get this, we are children of God. We are no longer orphaned. Instead, we are adopted into the family of God. And as sons and daughters of God, we have a wealth of glorious inheritance. Listen, this week, millions of people are playing the mega millions for a slim chance to win somewhere over 400 million. It's probably more than that now. I lost track. Somewhere over $400 million. And the hope is that, man, if I get the right numbers, I'm going to win a wealthy inheritance. But the wealth of the glorious inheritance we have with God through Jesus is so much greater. It's so much greater. Why? Because it's not temporary. It's not a temporary inheritance where money is here today and it's gone tomorrow. No, it's an eternal inheritance and a promise of being forever in the presence of God. And when you are forever in the presence of God for all eternity, there's no more pain, there's no more tears, there's no more suffering. It's just bliss in the presence of God. Number four, the fourth thing that he prays for the last thing that we'll look at today. He says this, the immeasurable power, I pray for the immeasurable power of His greatness. This is the last thing that Paul mentions, the immeasurable power of Jesus. Have you ever pictured Jesus like this? Have you ever pictured Him powerful? For some of you, this is what you need. You need a powerful Jesus. You don't need a meek and mild Blonde, perfectly manicured, petting baby sheep type of Jesus. You don't need six pound, eight ounce baby Jesus on a manger. You don't need that. What you need is a powerful Jesus. You need the powerful Jesus who can flip things right side up in your life. Let me, let me paint you guys a picture. In Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. I want to show you guys this. It's amazing. You have, I don't know if you might have it there in your notes. Hebrews 1 3 says this. Listen to this picture of Jesus. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of His nature. Jesus, listen, He's sustaining all things by His, what? His powerful Word. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Is that the picture of Jesus 
When you, when I, when you hear Jesus, is that what comes to your mind? The all-powerful, the radiance of God's glory, the exact expression of God? As I look around this room, I know that there are some of you who have experienced the power of God through Jesus in your heart, and it's undeniable. You are stuck in your sin. You, you are without hope. You are in despair. Some of you may have even been on your deathbed or close to it. That is until you found Jesus. Or until, better said, until Jesus found you. And he came and rescued you from the miry clay. There's a possibility, however, that you might just be sitting here and you are in desperate need of the power of Jesus in your life. Maybe you find yourself in the middle of one of the toughest situations in your life. You're going through it right now. Maybe you just found out that you have a diagnosis that's going to make radically change your health and your future. Maybe you just found out that you are laid off or, or you're under tremendous pressure and stress at your job. What you need to experience is the immeasurable power of His greatness in your life. You need to see Jesus in all His power. And I pray that you would see Him this way. I hope that is revealed to you. He is revealed to you as the way it was revealed to the disciples. And in the New Testament, there's this time that we read, right? The disciples are on a boat. They were fishermen, most of them. And so they were on a boat, and the waves were rocking. There was a storm, like hurricane-type winds, and it was rocking the boat like crazy. And they were, they were scared out their mind. They were scared senseless. And there's these deadly winds that are going, and, and they're fearing for their lives. And so they're, they're looking around. Where's Jesus in the midst of all this chaos, in the midst of, of all this wind and all this, all this damage to the boat? And they see Jesus sleeping. He's asleep. And so they're, they are terrified. And so they shake Jesus up. Jesus, what are you doing? Asleep, wake up. We're about to die. But Jesus does something amazing. In his immeasurable power, you know what he does? He tells the storm to stop. <laughs> and it does. And it obeys him. And then the disciples look at each other. And, and uh, you know, after, they, after picking their jaws off the floor, they're like, what's going on? Do you know what they were thinking to themselves? They weren't thinking, this guy has a great manicure. He's great with baby sheep. They were thinking, this guy is powerful. He is powerful. Look how they said it. Matthew 8, 27. The men, the disciples were amazed, and they asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the sea obey him. Paul prayed that the Ephesians would know the immeasurable power of Jesus. And I pray that we would as well. Would you guys pray with me? Lord, I pray that we would be a church that is recognized by our faith in the Lord Jesus and our love for one another. May it be said, simply, not simply and only in our words, but that it would be lived out in our actions. God, I, I pray that for a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus. And I pray that, I pray we would know the hope of his calling and that, we would, that he would deliver us from those hopeless situations. I pray that we would know the wealth of his glorious inheritance, that we are his sons and daughters of God because of Christ. I pray that we would experience the immeasurable power of his greatness. We pray this in your precious name. Amen.